Hi guys, welcome to episode 5. Episode 5 is, is going to consist of something that I think is completely underrated, um, a particular area that we might be overlooking and actually has the potential to have some of the most significant biochemical benefits for the body and that's actually the aspect of community and as soon as you say community I think a lot of people are going to say well this is quite fluffy and it's sort of a little bit hippie but I'm sort of going to break it down into into the science okay because there's significant impact that if we actually utilize it and we start creating much tighter knit communities that we can really shift uh, a lot of the issues that are going on internally in the body. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky enough that I've actually been to a particular uh, blue zone area in the world, that's Sardinia. Um, and it's a particular, I, I want to make sure, sure that people understand that it is a particular area in Sardinia that is actually classified as the blue zone area. So it's not actually the entire of, um, you know, Sardinia. And obviously there's other areas like a, a particular southern part of California, uh, where they're the Seventh Day Adventists, so it's obviously really based on like faith and religion. Um, you've got Nicoya, which is in uh, Costa Rica. Uh, you've got Okinawa uh, in in Japan, uh, and you've got Ikaria in uh, in Greece, like a small island in Greece. And the thing is, and and, and it's definitely like a, a, a podcast that I'm going to cover. I'm going to talk about the aspects of the Blue Zone areas and their key to longevity. And so what we're really trying to do is we're really trying to understand what's going on with their nutrition. The one thing is, like I can guarantee you, is that their nutrition is is very different because it's really based on ancestral and it's based on, you know, what can sort of grow in that region. And it's it's very different, yeah, okay? Um, and I don't really like basing it, you know, like on nutrition because, you know, are you from Okinawa or essentially are you from, you know, Greece? And so it n- might not be applicable to essentially what's going on uh, with your ancestry and your epigenetics and also it might not be applicable to fundamentally what's going on with your gastrointestinal tract as well because that's really going to determine what you're going to respond well to from a nutritional perspective, okay? But the one thing that I'm really interested in when it comes to a lot of these blue zone areas is, is there is a common trait. And that common trait is community. They have far stronger um, community bonds, and a lot of and a lot of these places, the their elders, they they don't live in isolation, so they don't separate the elders. And actually, the elders actually have um, constant uh, interaction with a lot of the the youth and a lot of the children. And one of the benefits of that is that the children get passed down the knowledge that the elders have, have actually acquired over time. And, it's, it's, it is, and there's many examples of this around the world, yeah, okay? because you actually look at in you know, certain African tribes and, and through Africa, one of the most important relationships for uh, infants and toddlers and children is actually their interaction with their uh, grandparents because essentially the grandparents will pass down the knowledge that they've acquired um, and unfortunately in Western society, what we've done is we're, we're, we're taking away from that 
from that experience and we're taking away from that knowledge and a lot of the time what we're doing with the the older population is we're isolating them and we're putting them in in nursing homes the problem being here is that um, you want a great way of um, you know helping helping to keep you uh, feeling young and that's actually be surrounded by young people okay and so if they're just surrounded by more older people um, and this is definitely going to speed up the aging process um, and it's really it's, it's really interesting because you can actually see where you know the the older population are living you know quite freely they're sort of uh, still living with their families they're very capable of still working the land um, and and they're living well into their 90s and and, and hundreds um, without any you know serious like autoimmune diseases and cancer and that's like Okinawa in Japan and once again it's a it's, it's a it's a small area of Okinawa but you know they're, they're fully able to still have purpose they're fully able to to still work the land they're still moving frequently and they're still having these key interactions with their friends and their family and once again, it comes down to all the benefits that they're going to get from those strong community bonds. And I really do believe that we need to, to go back to strong communities. Interesting example of this, and I'm going to talk about this in, a, in another podcast, is you look at Denmark. Okay? And Denmark constantly comes up having you know, uh, some of the happiest people in the world. And I can't rem- remember how many times Denmark has actually been voted uh, number one, when it actually comes to having like a hoppy, uh, like a, like a, a happy uh, society, um, you know, like and 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 a, a really strong, tight knit communities, um, be, because essentially they they really try to promote that. You know, okay, now whether you want to say it's a a, um, a sort of socialist society, I don't really want to get into the politics of it. Okay, but there's examples within Denmark that where they've gone back to sort of like community living, okay? And uh, what I mean by this is uh, actually having sort of communal living where you've actually got uh, sort of compounds where all these different families are living together. They have a, a, like a, a communal space where the uh, one family will actually have a turn of actually preparing dinner and food for all the uh, families that live in that sort of community area and that communal space and then another family will do the the same thing the next night okay and then the advantages of this is then they're eating together okay and once again when they're eating together they're getting all those uh, biochemical advantages that you actually get from from community which that those are things that i'm essentially going to run through okay so there is examples in society of where they've they're actually really starting to go back towards that because one thing that I definitely notice in, in the particular region in Sardinia is that they have really strong community, um, community ties. Yeah, okay? like, and that, that's really ranging from the younger population all the way through to the elderly. And um, if you actually look at it, sort of, it, it does break my heart to see that with our elder population, more and more so in a Western society, that we put them in nursing homes, that we isolate them, um, and that really is going to speed up the the aging process for me. So let's like break down like this because it, it once again, if I had to pick one aspect that 
um, really has some of the most significant sort of anti-stress impacts on the body, um, key biochemical benefits, it would be community. Um, and I, uh, in this modern society where we're, we've, we've definitely, um, things like social media and higher EMF exposure, um, there's greater isolation, you know, we might be working from home. And I'm not saying there's not advantages to that, but we are creating more isolation. And you can see examples of this with, you know, um, something like the coronavirus where we get social distancing. We actually get um, separation from key, like, like family members, from friends. Now, this can only have a negative uh, impact on the innate immune system and only a negative impact on our biochemistry. So, yes, we're doing it to create that... Um, you know, that sort of social distancing and isolation to actually help to, to, to stem the, the, the curve in terms of the instances of the spread of the disease. But are we creating a bigger problem by having more social distancing and more isolation? And, you know, when it comes to isolation, um, being isolated is responsible for so many different diseases. And, okay, and the reason being because you actually just start to create so many negative emotions in the body. And that's going to be one of the key things that I talk about because you're just going to create more things like fear, anger, sadness, depression, stress. And, you know, in the instance of the coronavirus, you've just seen that in abundance. You've seen that in abundance, okay? And once again, it's actually, the irony is it's probably leaving you more vulnerable to something like the coronavirus because you're actually just having a negative impact on your immune system, which means you are more vulnerable to um, immunosuppression, you're more vulnerable to things like autoimmune diseases, and you're more vulnerable to, you know, things like influenza strains and, you know, viruses like this. And that's the irony, okay? So let's, let's break down a little bit. So, and, like, and as I said, I, don't, I think we're, we're missing the big piece when it comes to a lot of these blue zone areas. Like we're looking at these nutritional aspects and, and sure there's advantages like if I look at a Sardinian diet they have a lot of things like sheep's cheese and goat's cheese and I could break down the advantages because you get things like selenium you get omega-3 fatty acids you get zinc okay but then if you look at Okinawa then they're consuming you know higher uh, consumptions of things like fermented soil so, soy and then essentially getting the the benefits from that but the, the, key, the key fact that I'm trying to get across here is they're essentially consuming different, different foods and, and essentially getting different compounds, yeah, okay? And that's where we've got to look at the over, overriding factors, yeah, okay? And the overriding factors is that they, they just have these crazy, strong family t- uh, ties. They do things like eat together. Okay, um, and then when you get in these community groups and you're eating together, there's more laughter. I'm going to break that down more. Okay, um, there's more things like touch. Yeah, okay. So, uh, and then I'm going to break that down. Okay, so things like hugging. Okay, sense of belonging. Got potentially more purpose, and they don't have isolation. Okay, and, and that's what we've got to look at because one of the key fundamental reasons that there's going to be a higher amount of longevity here is that. Um, they actually have uh, a better balance between their cortisol to DHEA ratio. And 
if we actually look at that, if you are producing a lot of things like catecholamines, more stress hormones, and it's a little bit like a volcano where, where there's, um, you're, not produce, you're, not, you're not essentially going through a lot of um, good emotions, yeah, okay, like happiness, okay, that sense of belonging, uh, being part of a community, uh, feeling wanted, um, yeah, all, the, all, the, all those, you know, positive emotions like gratitude, appreciation, care, compassion, okay? Um, and then essentially you're going through more of these like negative states like sadness, like fear. Um, then you're, you're essentially going to produce more stress hormones. Like th- that's, that's just factual, okay? And the problem is if I'm producing more of these catecholamines and I have no way of expressing and releasing some of these things like anger and, 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 and these negative emotions, then you become like a volcano, okay? And if you're becoming like a volcano and you're producing more of these catecholamines and you're not able to uh, vent this and release it, well, over time, this will actually lead to immunosuppression. And if it leads to immunosuppression, essentially, what are you more vulnerable to? Well, you're more vulnerable to autoimmune diseases, okay? Because the reality is, when you do produce stress hormones and you do produce more catecholamines, you do stimulate the lymphatic organs. And when you stimulate the lymphatic organs, that means you're stimulating things like white blood cells. So things like your macrophages, monocytes, neutrophils and i'm not saying that this is a bad thing it's just a normal mechanism but over time okay your body just can't keep on producing these things forever and what you essentially get over time is you get immunosuppression and when i look at blood markers you know just a huge amount of people have low white blood cell count low neutrophils the lymphocytes tend to be a little bit on the lower side which means their secondary line of defense is down and is isolation and a lack of community and being in this stress state contributing to those factors? And, and, and for me, the answer is, has, has got to be yes. Okay? So now the, the, the big key here is if I'm actually producing more things like cortisol, and cortisol you actually produce within the uh, adrenal cortex, uh, and where people get a little bit confused when it comes to cortisol, it's not actually the major steroidal hormone that sh- you should be producing from the adrenal cortex. Actually, the major uh, hormone that you should be producing from the adrenal cortex should be DHEA. And DHEA is like your anti-aging hormone. Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Okay, because if it's your anti-aging hormone and it actually is like precursor things like melatonin, so actually helping with, um, you know, like like cancerous cells, actually helping with things like um, sleep, circadian rhythms, okay? Then if you're not essentially producing as, as much DHEA, well, it's affecting these factors. So affecting your circadian rhythms, okay, uh, shortening things like your telomeres, okay, and, and obviously this is going to have a negative effect on your longevity, yeah, okay. Um, and the interesting thing is, like I said before, is that DHEA is the hormone, is the steroidal hormone that we should produce more from the adrenal cortex. Now, you actually produce DHEA, from a particular area called the zona rectalaris, yeah, okay? And there's actually particular enzymes that actually help us produce DHEA from the zona rectalaris within the adrenal cortex, yeah, okay? Now, if I'm in this sort of fight and flight state, um, I'm producing more cortisol, I'm producing more things like epinephrine, norepinephrine, okay? Then you're also raising blood glucose. 
Okay, and if you do have things like hypoglycemia, um, I should say hypoglycemia, so like raised blood glucose levels, you got things like hyperinsulinemia. Okay, well raised insulin. Then when this is going on, when you're in that sort of acute phase of stress or hypercortisolemic, okay, that actually impedes on the enzymes that actually help with the release of DHEA from the zona rectoris. So all of a sudden that your production of DHEA is down. And so that's essentially affecting the, you know, because DHEA is also a precursor to 50 other hormones, okay? And so you need it for things like testosterone, okay? Uh, you need it for things like androstenedol, androstenedone, estrogen, okay? So all these beneficial sex hormones, okay? But that's going to have a trickle-down effect to things like sex hormones and uh, your, um, you know, libido, okay, and even things like fertility, okay, so it just has a, a trickle-down effect, okay, and when it comes to some of these blue zone areas and areas where they actually do live longer and their quality of life is a lot better, they most likely have just a better ratio between their cortisol to DHEA ratio, and that is a particular ratio. And the more that you can actually keep it so that your your DHEA is a little bit higher, and so you're releasing a little bit more from the the adrenal um, the adrenal cortex, and you're actually keeping your cortisol for more like survival responses that that pure fight and flight, then this is definitely going to have a positive effect when it comes to longevity. And if I actually look at it, well, those particular areas, well. That makes sense because if they're in the, if, if they're in these strong uh, community bonds, they're with family more. They're eating together. They have that sense of belonging. Well, surely that's actually helping with particular compounds and so forth that actually help to keep down things like inflammation, help with anti-stress compounds, and so definitely raising their DHEA and keeping the the, the overproduction of because I don't want to demonize cortisol because cortisol is a good thing and we should be using it sparingly that's the that's that's really what we need to understand here so I think that's a that's a that's definitely a key fundamental point with with these particular high longevity regions in the world okay so let's break down a, th- a few different aspects when it comes to community okay and one amazing aspect is a, is a thing called BDNF, okay? And it's a particular protein molecule, so it's brain-derived neurotrophic factor, okay? And so, you know, some of the key uh, functions of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, okay, is it actually helps with uh, new brain cells. It actually helps with uh, the axon and the dendrite, okay? And it, in particular, it actually helps with uh, synaptic messages, so it actually helps with the synapses, which means it actually helps with the 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 uptake of particular neurotransmitters, okay, and especially particular anti-stress compounds uh, like GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid, and serotonin, okay. So there's all these uh, protective uh, aspects of brain-derived neurotrophic factor actually helping with the brain, okay, and also protecting our protecting us from particular neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, okay? And where a lot of focus has essentially gone is into things like fasting, yeah, okay? And yes, there's all these different types of fasting, like intermittent fasting, 6-1 method is the one that I really like to use for highly stressed individuals, 5-2 method, okay? So I'm not disputing all the benefits of these different types of fasting. Um, and then... Yes, it helps with BDNF, but is it really 
the best. It is definitely one mechanism that we can use. Now, there's particular phytonutrient compounds, so things like resveratrol, you know, uh, green tea because of the ECGCs, you know, really powerful polyphenols and antioxidants, okay? Um, you know, ice therapy can actually help with brain-derived neurotrophic factor, diaphragmatic breathing, uh, things like curcumin. Um, so there's, there's many things that we can actually use to actually help with brain-derived neurotrophic factor. But actually one of the, the biggest is actually community. So, and once again, it just comes down to that, like, sense of belonging. Okay, so, you know, and I'm going to break down just simple things that we can actually do to improve that community aspect. Okay, and in instances of isolation and social distancing, we're actually going to find there's going to be a, a huge breakdown in what's going on internally with our biochemistry. And there, 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 there's... There's a consequence there and there's something that we are going to have to heal from for sure. And, and a com- community can be an amazing tool, yeah, okay? Now, another thing is when we're in these community settings, okay, what do we essentially do, yeah, okay? Well, we laugh more, okay? Everyone knows that when you're with family, with you with friends, you are going to go through periods, well, I hope so, okay? That's why even sometimes I recommend to people um, just... In, in, in hard times and so forth, watch a um, stand-up com- comedy act. Watch a comedy show, yeah, okay? Because when you laugh, okay, yes, it helps with things like serotonin, and serotonin has anti-inflammatory benefits in the body, okay? And, you know, as a neurotransmitter, it actually helps us feel more relaxed and calm, okay, and essentially helps us feel more happy, yeah, okay? So there's those aspects, but... There's actually particular protein molecules that we produce when we laugh, okay? One is actually called gamma interferon, okay? And it's a particular protein molecule that has a direct um, benefit to the innate immune system. Now, in particular, things like macrophages and uh, macrophages like monocytes, and you actually look at like monocytes, or monocytes are sort of like the SAS in the body. They take about 8 to 12 hours to get to point of infection, um, but when they stick around, okay, they essentially exhibit, they engulf, and they excrete, okay? And so they get rid of really bad pathogens and bad bacteria. And this is like helping with that innate immune system is essential because for a lot of people, they are sitting immunosuppressed, okay? And their innate immune system, so that first line of defense is down, okay? So... You know, who would have thought that something as simple as just like laughing more often and if we actually put ourselves in these community settings, we are going to laugh more often. It's just destined, okay? So once again, not just it, it doesn't just have to be that community setting but maybe watch a, a stand-up comedian, okay? Um, you know, maybe watch a, a comedy but we need to be in settings where we are just going to laugh more often. That's why you're, the people that you're surrounded by um, is just so important. Yeah, okay? And another factor is we can actually look at a, a particular hormone. We actually look at ox, oxytocin. Okay? And when I actually talk about like anti-stress compounds and anti-stress hormones, and a lot of the time we will, we will talk about things like GABA and serotonin, four ones that are completely underrated for me, that I'm going to definitely talk about in a podcast is oxytocin, acetylcholine, prolactin, and vasopressin. They're like anti-stress 
compounds and hormones. Yeah, okay. And so um, oxytocin is the one that I actually want to focus on here. Okay. Now, oxytocin is commonly known as what? Well, it's commonly known as the the community hormone. Okay, or the hugging hormone. Now, do you think if you're in a community setting that you're going to have more human touch? Well, of course you are. Okay, there is going to be more human touch. There's going to be more hugging, which means essentially you're going to produce more oxytocin. Now, let's just relate it to a particular scenario. Okay, when do, like you actually look at females. Now, females during labor, they actually produce high amounts of oxytocin. Okay, now why do they actually uh, produce high amounts of oxytocin? Because uh, oxytocin actually helps ease the, 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 the path or ease the, the actual labor. Essentially helps to make it, so it actually helps with relaxing tendons and lig- ligaments, okay? Uh, help with the, the uterus wall and actually ease the, ease, ease the labor, ease the birth, okay? Which means it's actually having a huge calming and relaxing effect on the, on the body, on the female's body, okay? So that that labor is not going to be painful and, uh, and, the, and the baby is going to get delivered a lot easier. And once again, that's really interesting, okay? Because... If we actually look at it, well, what is going to prevent the sort of release of oxytocin in, in something like labor? Stress hormones. So high production of cortisol, high production of catecholamines like epinephrine, like noepinephrine, okay? So if the female is in a fight and flight scenario, doesn't feel safe, okay? It's not in a relaxing environment, then they produce more stress hormones and that interferes with the oxytocin. And when it interferes with the oxytocin, that's going to inter- interfere with the ease of the labor, okay? And so if I'm in a fight and flight response and I'm producing more of these sort of uh, stress hormones, well, then that's going to interfere with anti-stress compounds, anti-stress hormones like oxytocin, okay? And so if I'm not producing enough oxytocin, okay, then I'm going to be in a bit more of this fight and flight response and then it has these other negative effects to things that I've already talked about like DHEA, okay? And so in a community setting, we are just more physical touch, yeah, okay? More hugging, okay? Like, and I... You know, the reality is, and I can talk talk about all the benefits that you're going to get from something like training, okay? And I'm, I'm not going to go into a rant with that, yeah, okay? But I can talk about all the benefits that you get from diaphragmatic breathing. I can talk about all the benefits that you get from meditation, okay? But the reality of the matter is, and even like ice baths, but the reality of the matter is we can amplify the benefits of that biochemical response by doing it in a community setting. Okay, so if you actually look at the example of something like meditation, okay, well, one of the advantages to, to meditation, especially things like metacognition, okay, is that you actually help with gamma waves, okay, and when you actually produce more gamma waves, it actually has this impact on a particular enzyme, it's called monoamine oxidase, okay, which is MAO, okay, the, the issue, and MAO is, is just a normal mechanism in the, in the body, completely, um, has, has positive effects and obviously it's there for a reason, yeah, okay? But one of the, the things that can actually happen with MAO, okay, is that it actually can inhibit the release of things like melatonin and uh, dimethyltryptamine, okay, um, from, the, from the pineal gland, okay? And when you look at things like dimethyltryptamine, okay, because 
you, you might look up Wikipedia and it says that it doesn't necessarily have these huge advantages um, in the body, but um, uh, dimethyltryptamine actually helps with dream sequence, okay? Um, which means it actually helps with our ability to ta- tap into our subconscious, okay? And obviously, you know, with the release of melatonin, well, that actually helps with circadian rhythms and actually helps with sleep. And when we have a high, high release of things like dimethyltryptamine, melatonin actually helps with decalcification of the pineal gland, yeah, okay? So, yes, metacognition and meditation has this, this positive effect, but if you look at when they're doing like, um, you know, huge group all-in meditations, well, the release of particular uh, hormones like dimethyltryptamine and melatonin is is through the roof, okay? And they can produce up to 200 times more oxytocin in that type of environment because even things like meditation, uh, metacognition actually helps with oxytocin, okay? But once again, yes, there's that natural release when you're doing that by yourself but when you're doing it in a community environment all of a sudden we're getting this these huge uh increases in oxytocin release okay and then if we release more of these anti-stress hormones then we're starting to nullify when we're in that sort of hypercortisolemic where we're producing more stress hormones okay and and actually helping to nullify when we're in a bit more of a fear state and we're producing more of these um, negative emotional states, okay? The other, and so we, 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 can, we can look at the, the, the big factor with oxytocin, yeah, okay? Now, the other thing is uh, if we actually look at the heart-to-brain axis, okay? And so do you think you're going to be in a bit more of an emotional state and do you think you're going to, um, you know, have emotions that really govern the heart-to-brain axis and the major emotions that govern the heart-to-brain axis, um, which is really what is talked about with people like Bruce Lipton and Greg Braden, is, you know, care, compassion, appreciation and gratitude. Now, a lot of people are going to talk about love, but the reality with something like love, it can, how I view love can be very different to how you view love, okay? Um, And so, but these four positive emotions really govern us all, okay? And when they actually look at the, the heart-to-brain axis, you've got like... So the, the, there's, there's a lot more evidence to show that more messages are sent from the, from the gut to the brain than the brain to the gut, and also there's just a lot more messages that are sent from the heart to the brain uh, and, and then from the brain to the heart, okay? But the, the one thing I'll say is that all three of these areas are... Uh, are constantly communicating, okay? Now, I, I believe that we put this huge emphasis on what's going on in the brain, and I'm not um, discrediting that that's, that's definitely a good thing to do, but have we really put enough emphasis on what's really going on with the digestive system, and have we put enough emphasis on what's going on with our emotional state, so essentially our heart? Because most of the time we just look at the heart like a pump, yeah, okay? So essentially just pumping oxygen around the body, blood, okay? But the reality is, is that your heart actually produces its own hormones, okay? Now, there's evidence to show that the heart is responsible for up to 1,300 biochemical process in the body. Now, you also have sensory neurons up to 40,000 that are located in the heart, which means, once again, just like we know there's the enteric nervous system, there's obviously evidence to show that the the heart is sending 
constant messages to, to, to the brain, okay? And you can actually see this when they've actually tested things like electromagnetic sort of um, a heart sort of forces, yeah, okay? And they've actually shown that that can stretch from five to eight feet, okay? But the reality is that's the limitation of the, the, the instruments that they're using to measure that. So because there's a limitation in the instruments that they're using to measure that, that, there's actually could be evidence to show that the electromagnetic heart force field could stretch way beyond that, okay? They use the example of to say that when you're sort of thinking of someone and you think, I've really got to call that person and I want to talk to them, and then like literally maybe that day or the next day you actually find that they call you. Okay, and so that could be evidence that this electromagnetic heart force field actually exists way beyond that five to eight feet and that limitation within the the actual instruments that they're using to measure it. Okay, so I just want you to understand that there's there's all these other benefits that we're not really focusing on when it comes to the to the heart to brain access. Okay, now if I'm in this community setting. Am I going to be in those emotional states far more frequently? Yes. And if I'm in those states far more frequently, okay, that's just going to change my whole biochemical state. Okay? And so you actually look at it and you can relate it to uh, when, when essentially when people sleep. And most of the time when people sleep, because they're not really changing their biochemical state, because they're not changing their emotional state, it has all these negative consequences to things like blood sugar, has negative consequences to circadian rhythms, uh, particular hormones like melatonin. Uh, you're producing more catecholamines and stress hormones in your sleep because most people just go into they're, they're going to sleep in a in a, a state of stress, and there's just a lot of emotional stress and emotional trauma here. Okay, and they're just repeating that day after day. Now, if I look at just something like energy. Okay, well, you actually restore your glycogen stores when you sleep, okay? So you're actually replenishing things like ATP, like adenosine triphosphate. So essentially when you wake up, okay, um, you actually should have more energy, okay? But once again, if I've gone to bed in a, a poor emotional state, well, then you have all these other negative effects on blood glucose. And essentially when the person wakes up, they just feel completely exhausted, Okay? So once again, when it actually comes to the, the heart-to-brain access, we're getting these huge benefits in a community setting once again, okay? And the other area that I want to talk about is the gut lining. Now, obviously, I could talk about this. Like, that If you want to know one of the biggest factors that actually has such a negative impact on, on the gut, it's actually our emotional state. And so negative emotions like fear and anger and sadness, resentment, um, like forgiveness, okay, because that's, 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 a, that's a big factor, holding on to um, you know, not being able to forgive yourself, not being able to forgive other people, okay, that just creates a lot of those negative emotions that, I, that I've been talking about, okay. The problem when it comes, because the, the whole thing that I keep on reiterating is a lot of our problems start in our brain, okay, and that can come from childhood trauma, um, that we carry on later on to life, limiting beliefs, social conditioning, a lot of these things that we hold on to, and that just deteriorates the gut lining. And this causes complications with our microbiome balance. And you understand, like, your, your, your emotional state will completely change your microbiome balance, okay? 
Um, and then this causes the deterioration in the gut lining, and then the deterioration in the gut lining affects the HPA axis, okay? So it puts us a bit more in a fight and flight response, okay? It's like what we call HPA dysfunction. You start to get microbiome imbalances, causing more bacterial byproducts, more inflammation. You overburden that HPA axis even more, okay? Causing more dysregulation there, okay? More blood sugar management dysregulation. Now, once again, that starts to impact the zona rectilaris and, and the release of like DHEA and once again all those longevity factors okay um, so and then that um, that higher stress and higher load on the HPA axis that causes more deterioration in the gut lining and essentially leads to illness and, and disease okay but there's one particular protein molecule that when we're and and there's a lot of people who talk about this Bruce Bruce Lipton, some of the smartest, um, you know, some of the smartest people of our time. Bruce Lipton, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Greg Braden, they all talk about this. And this uh, particular protein molecule was, is called secretory IgA. Okay? And secretory IgA, we actually, it's the most abundant immunoglobulin in the body. So we've got all these immunoglobulins, okay? And they're protein molecules. And a lot of these are actually produced within the, the gastrointestinal lining, okay? You've got things like uh, IgA, and that's what I'm talking about here, okay? You've got IgE, which is to do with the sonophilic activity or sonophilic proteins that are found in your gastrointestinal lining. You've got IgM, okay? Now, that's like first line of defense, so it sort of comes to the surface of the lumen of the gastrointestinal tract, okay, to deal with, you know, um, antigens and microorganisms. Um, so, and then we've got IgG, which is more present in the, uh, present in the in the blood, okay, um, and that's to do with like ninety three food based antigens, yeah, okay. So we've got all these these immunoglobulins, which are like essentially like protein molecules, and they're all to do with like a trigger mechanism. So they're all to do with antigen and antibody response, yeah, okay. So when we're looking at secretory IgA, that's really abundant where we've got mucus, okay. So secretory IgA you actually find in things like snot, okay. So in your nose. Tears, okay. You found it in saliva, and you actually find it in mucus. Now, where's the highest amount of mucus in the body? It's actually it's actually within your gastrointestinal lining. You also got mucus because of things like goblet cells, which are in your colon, your large intestine, but also within your lungs. Okay, um, so you, you you've also got mucus and mucin and this mucilage in these areas as well. Yeah, okay. Now, the role of this particular compound is it's a little bit like a, a sticky mucilage. Okay, so it's binding to pathogens, microorganisms, bacteria. Okay, so it's essentially a little bit like a venous flytrap, so it essentially protects us. Okay, now when we're actually producing more stress hormones, like I talked about, like cortisol, catecholamines, well, like I said, because we need to, because we, we're going to stimulate an immune response, we actually stimulate the lymphatic organs. Okay, now if we stimulate the lymphatic organs, we're sort of kicking our immune system into gear. Okay, and so you also uh, trigger the response of immunoglobulins, which means you're producing more immunoglobulins. Okay, so if I'm in more of those sort of negative states like fear and anger, okay, and and, and, and just in a more of a stress state, okay, well, you're going to release more things like secretory IgA because essentially it's just trying to protect you, okay? Now, if, in, if I'm in that state for long enough, okay, 
what do you think is actually going to happen? Because initially, your, your secretory IgA levels actually might be high. Okay. Now, certain things that actually help with the induction of secretory IgA, so things like lactobacillus plantarum, okay, uh, things like uh, slow cooked meats and bone broths because of the key amino acids in there. You know, uh, particular prebiotics like inulin. Um, these are and and like L-glutamine can be really good colostrum to actually help with secretory IgA. But in the instance when you've actually got something like high secretory IgA, things that actually reduce the inflammatory load. So you know free um, you know selenium, like a mineral that actually helps with free radicals. Okay, so it helps with oxidative stress. You know um, zinc uh, is is amazing in this instance. But things like slow cooked meats and bone broths. Okay. Um, um, omega-3 fatty acids so things like cod liver oil really high in epa because it reduces the inflammatory load okay so these things to actually help to mitigate the inf- the, the inflammatory response okay um can be amazing yeah okay and the, the issue is is that actually when we're producing high amounts of secretory iga well, not all the time can we just solve the problem by just actually having more things like L-glutamine, yeah, okay? Sometimes we've got to stem the flow, and we can stem the flow by just changing your state, changing your emotional state, okay? And some of the best mechanisms to do that are things like meditation, heart math, you know, uh, work on heart rate variability, so working on oxidation, the long-term system, okay, um, and and things like diaphragmatic breathing. It doesn't essentially have to be Wim Hof breathing. It could be box breathing, okay, because they're just going to help to stem, uh, stem the flow. And yes, certain micronutrients and things that I've already talked about can help, but we really want to go for the most bang for your buck, okay? So... The problem is, if I actually wear down over time, and I actually wear, and it, it's really common for secretory IgA because when you actually look at it, yes, you can test in the saliva. A lot of the time, they test in the blood, but the problem is IgA is just not, it's not prevalent in the blood. Okay, like it's more prevalent in, sal- in saliva. But actually, a, a good indication of what's going with secretory IgA levels would actually be the mucus and the mucin, uh, and the and the production in the gut lining. And for a lot of a lot of the time, like dealing with, um, you know, stool testing on a frequent basis, and of course there's 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 flaws in stool testing. Of course there's flaws, but a lot of the time it's definitely telling me um, what's going on with that person's emotional state. Yeah, okay. And actually, if they've got really low secretory IgA, you definitely know that they've been in a fight and flight and this negative emotional state for a long period of time. And so you're going to have to start to implement mechanisms to help with that. Now, think about it. If I put myself in a community environment where I have a sense of belonging, I'm not isolated, okay? I'm surrounded by a supportive network, okay? Well, all of a sudden, my emotions change. They switch. Now I've got more gratitude. Now I've got more care, more compassion, more appreciation, okay? And so you can actually help to restore things like the secretory IgA, and if the, one of the key roles of the secretory IgA is to protect you from pathogens and microorganisms, well, all of a sudden you can start to, your, your, your gut lining can start to do what it's meant to do, which is essentially protect you. So protect you from these opportunistic and secondary infections like, like things like yeast and candida and negative gram bacteria, okay? So, and, 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 and who, would, who would have thought that just changing that emotional state, okay, could just have such a 
healing impact on something like your gastrointestinal lining. But it definitely does, okay? And so this is why like, I think we're completely underestimating the power of community, okay? And so what can we start adopting in this instance? And what can we start learning from a lot of these ancient cultures, but even cultures that exist today, okay? Well, let's start creating more, like more strong and, 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 and more solid community bonds, Let's start uh, re, um, reaffirming the, the, the real structure of families, yeah, okay? Because there's huge breakdown there, okay? Now, I 100% remember as a child that I had strong connections to my great-grandparents, okay? Uh, my grandparents. And I spent a lot of time with them. Like, every week I would be around my great-grandparents and my grandparents. And essentially, they were passing down not just those positive emotions, but also their experiences over life, yeah, okay? And we need to start creating, uh, and one thing I admire with a lot of the Blue Zone areas, and you look at Okinawa, a lot of the time the elders are still living with their families. They're not isolated. And what, what's to stop us from going uh, back to that? What's stopping us from looking at what they're doing at Denmark, where they're, where they're creating these, these, these communities, where they're looking out for each other, where they're they're eating together, okay? And so simple things that we can start to do, okay, is like eat together. Once again, you're going to get all these things like um, gamma interferon, okay, oxytocin. Like imagine all the things that I've talked about, secretory IgA, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. If we just like as a, a big group, as a family group with friends, if we start eating together, so not only are you getting the benefit of the food that you're putting into your body, I'm not going to go into a rant with all the different type of nutrients, you're getting that benefit, but you're also getting all the benefits of all those particular healing mechanisms that I've already talked about. Okay? Um, also, when we do things like train, we'll train together. Training in a, so all the benefits that you're getting from training will just amplify them when you're doing it in a in a in a in a group setting. Okay, when you do something like diaphragmatic breathing, because you want to actually want to talk about something that actually helps to regulate, you know, what's going on with the autonomic nervous system. Okay, so helping to balance out, you know, the sympathetic nervous system state and the parasympathetic nervous system state. Well, you know. Uh, things that control heart rate variability and one of the best things is like diaphragmatic breathing, okay? Um, because if you look at heart rate variability, you know, uh, for an athlete, you, you want it to be around 70, okay? Now, a lot of people, when they've got poor stress resilience and most of the time it's when they've got, they're in a poor emotional state, it will be around uh, 60, okay? Which means it just got poor resilience. Now, if I can actually improve heart rate variability, that's just going to increase your resilience. It's going to increase your stress resilience, Okay, so just changing that emotional state can have such a positive effect to your heart rate variability, which just to understand, I'm not talking about your heart rate per minute. I'm actually talking about the, the, the variant between beat to beat. Okay, um, so, you know, when people are in that poor emotional state, this actually has such a negative impact on their heart rate variability. And then if we start to apply things like applying stress to the body, whether that be things like glycolytic training, like, like lactate threshold training, we're just not in a great state. Uh, training that involves, you know, um, the central nervous system, whether that be, 
you know, things like powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting, where you're just not in a good state to tolerate more stress, okay? And the thing is, a lot of the time what we're trying to do to get, to get the individual into a, a, a better sort of heart rate variability metric is a lot of the time we're, we're trying to focus on oxidation, the aerobic system, the long-term system, just get more oxygen into the mitochondria. Now, I'm not taking away from that because that can, that can definitely work, yeah, okay? And, it's, and most, a lot of the time, most people's oxidation is, is extremely poor. But actually, one of the quickest ways to actually do that is to actually breathe, just get more oxygen in, okay? Now, also, just to change your state, do something like heart math, okay? And the, the, whole, the whole aspect of heart math is to focus on the four emotions that govern the heart-to-brain axis, okay? Once again, that's gratitude, care, compassion, and appreciation. And I'm just going to give you a simple mechanism that you can do to, to do that, yeah, okay? Um, but if we breathe, in a community environment, if we do things like ice therapy in a community environment, yes, you get the benefits from doing it by yourself, but you amplify the benefits by doing it in a community. Okay, and this is why I really, you know, yes, there's these benefits to social media and us working online, but we must have that connection as well. We must have touch. We must have community okay we must be interacting with people okay we must be hugging we must be laughing okay and the more that we're operating in that level where it's social media it's isolation okay we're going to get less of all these benefits that i'm talking about okay so let's start doing more things together as a group as a community and be surrounded by people that are going to uh, install these positive emotions into you and support you. Okay, don't be don't be in toxic toxic groups. Don't be in toxic relationships. Okay, you know I, I reiterate this with people that come to see me all the time. Okay, now if we want to have a positive impact on something like heart rate variability and actually help with our stress resilience, something that we can uh, put in place quite easily, just change your state day to day. Rather than waiting till you get to this point where you're trying to improve oxidation, aerobic, and because your emotional state is in a bad way day to day, you find that, okay, like um, it's weeks before you actually get into a, a good heart rate variability state where you can apply, you know, uh, lactate threshold training or glycolytic training or what, whatever that might be. Okay, change your state every single day. Okay, and, and simple mechanisms that we can actually do that. Yes, get into community, but also do something like heart math. Okay, and it's quite simple. You know, at night, um, basically climb into bed, put your right hand on your heart, put your left hand over the top of your right hand. Okay, close your eyes down and just think of something you're grateful for. Or maybe it's something or, or, or individuals that you really care about, something that you're really appreciative of. Your, of in your life and maybe it's instances of uh, where you have true compassion okay and just focus and it could be all four and the, the key fundamental thing is because they say that you only need to do that for two minutes to really help to change 
the, the, the heart-to-brain axis, that's going to definitely have a, a, a knock-on effect to the enteric nervous system, the nervous system that exists between your gut and your brain. Okay, You only need to do that for up to, up to two minutes. But one key thing that I'm going to tell you to do is actually go to sleep in that state. And you go to sleep in that state and you'll change your whole biochemistry. And that's actually going to have positive impacts on your energy systems in the morning. You're going to restore your glycogen storage. You're going to have more ATP. You're going to wake up out of bed with get up and go. And you're not going to have to reach out for something that's trying to do that for you, like a stimulant, like caffeine. And you're having to rely on coffee. And I'm not saying that coffee is bad, okay? And it's a, it's a topic for another time, okay? But you don't have to rely on some stimulant to give you the energy for you, okay? Because you just feel refreshed, okay? So, you know... And even applying something like heart math after you've done some some something some positive like some sort of good stressor for the body like some sort of like like training whatever that might be well post it put yourself into a parasympathetic nervous system state okay so like put yourself into a good state because now essentially you do want to kick into the parasympathetic nervous system there's 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 a lot of positives to the sympathetic nervous system it increases resilience that's phenomenal yeah okay um, let's not demonize it okay but when it comes to the seesaw we want to because there's sort of this seesaw happening between the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system state but we do want to be a little bit more in the parasympathetic nervous system state okay we want to help with rest and digest. We want to help with things like gut motility so essentially we can process the nutrients that we're essentially putting into our body. Okay, So post-training, rather than just walking off and just doing what you would normally do and you're still in this stress state, okay, lie down, put your hand on your heart, close your eyes down, Okay, maybe listen to some calming music. Okay? Most of the time I like to listen to, you know, whether it be... Um, you know, a lot of music from Hans Zimmer is like the Mozart of our times, okay? Something that's just completely calming, completely changes your state, and think once again about those positive emotions. Change your state, okay? Now, if you change your state day to day, okay, this is going to completely change your biochemistry, and it's going to change your biochemistry for the better, because all of a start, sudden you start having all these positive effects with things like brain-derived neurotrophic factor, oxytocin, secretory IgA, okay, the heart-to-brain excess, helping with hormones that are released from the from the heart, okay, and so you can just see um, just this 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 biochemical cascade. It's phenomenal, okay, and I know it seems hippie. And I know it seems a little bit fluffy, okay? But we are community beings, okay? And the reality is you see that in social media. You see it in social media because we reach, we're, it's a cry out for touch. It's, it's a cry out for human connection. We're just getting it through the wrong form. And it is there. We've had it before. And we can go back to it. Thanks, guys.